up here is Seth here? If you can make that announcement about the printer. All right, thank you. I, I, I knew that occurred downstairs and there was a disconnect and I wanted to kind of close that loop. All right, for those who don't know, know me, my name is Rob Caprera. With my family, we've been going to this church for over 10 years and I'm a deacon in this church. But I need to say that I'm not a preacher in this church. I'm a layman. And though I've had the opportunity through the years to have the privilege to preach, I truly consider it as a sacred privilege, and I thank Gary and the church leaders and you as a church for allowing me this privilege. The sermon title this morning is Finishing Strong, and it's born out of my life and my desire to finish this Christian journey well and to encourage you to do likewise. So eventually I'm going to offer what I believe are seven suggestions for how we might finish strong in this Christian life, how we might finish the race well. But at the beginning, I want to be completely clear with each and every one of you, the purpose of this sermon is to encourage you to run well, to encourage you to run well and to finish strong. For me this issue has taken on a certain sense of urgency and I don't want to be like James Montgomery Boyce was preaching and saying I have cancer and die four, four months later. I don't have that. Uh, but this, this sermon topic has become very urgent for me as of late because of just the movement of the culture. And so if you'll indulge me, I'd like to take a little time at the beginning to sort of explain my sense of urgency. To get our minds focused on where we're going, I'd like to direct our attention to an Old Testament character. This person's neither what I would consider to be prominent or obscure. He's somewhere in between. He's Caleb. We had Brett reading about Caleb. Caleb was a leader from the tribe of Judah. He was one of the twelve people that Moses chose to go into the promised land to spy it out. He was obviously a trusted man at the time. He was 40 years old at the time. And he went into the promised land and with Joshua came back with a good report. And as scripture recounts of Caleb's activities, he wholeheartedly trusted the Lord his God. He wholeheartedly trusted the Lord his God. Caleb is an inspiration for me. There are numerous passages that talk about him, Brett discussed a couple as he was approaching that challenge of going into the promised land. I'd like to read to you, for you, the finish up of what we learn about Caleb from Scripture, and it's found in Joshua 14. Thank you for getting it up there. Okay, thumbs up. So this is Joshua 14, verses 5 through 15, and then I'm going to sneak over to conclude on Joshua 15, 13 13 and 14. Hear the word of the Lord. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, 
And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord, my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakin, and I would say the Anakin are the giant people, the Anakin were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron, gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakin, the giants, and the land had rest from war. And then we complete the thought, complete the understanding of Caleb by going down to Joshua 15, verse 13. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephthah, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai and Ahaman and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. And this hopefully will be better and I won't blow us out. Um, I resonate with Caleb because he went through 40 years of testing and training in the wilderness And then he came out and he confronted the people and the world around him that was in turmoil. Testing and confrontation. Testing and confrontation. It's an apparent pattern. And as as a result of being forced through this, this tester, he finished strong. Coincidentally, as of May of this year, I have now finished 40 years of practicing law at 32 Everett Street in Southbridge. I started with my father in May of 1979. The number 40 in the Bible is an interesting number. It marks a time of testing. It spans a generation in many instances, and it's often associated with a time of testing that leads to change, sometimes significant change. It's a sort of class participation. What are some of the 40s that you recall? There's 150 of them, but what are some of the 40s that you recall in Scripture? Anyone, shout them out. 
Okay, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. Matthew 4, Jesus was tempt- taken out to the wilderness right at the beginning of his ministry for 40 days. Wally. Moses was in the wanderings leading the people for 40 years. After the spies went into the land, 40 days. And the punishment was they would, they would wallow in the wilderness one year for every day they had the chance to see the promised land. Anything else? Well, there are more. Um, Moses lived in Egypt for 40 years. He was trained in Midian for 40 years. He wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, Moses, before he got the Ten Commandments, prayed for 40 days. When he came back down with the Ten Commandments and his brother Aaron had not admirably led the people and they had begun worshipping a golden calf, God was angry, understandably, and Moses prayed and fasted for 40 days to appease the anger of God. Jonah warned the city of Nineveh after being spit out by the fish that destruction was coming in 40 days. There was a United Kingdom period with Saul, David, and Solomon and each reigned 40 years. Many 40s in Scripture. And of course we have Caleb, the person we're focusing on. He was 40 years old he was in Egypt when they had the ten plagues and he was a leader of the, of the tribe of Judah leaving Egypt at the age of 40. He, with 11 others, went into the promised land spying for 40 days and he had to endure the wanderings in the wilderness even though he was a faithful follower of God for 40 years. So, oftentimes we can see from Scripture that 40 is a significant number after 40 years, big things can happen. As I said, I've, I've practiced law for 40 years. And I would sort of pull off to the curb here and, and as an aside, ask you that you pray for me and Julie. I do not know what the next days hold, but I'm excited for every day that God gives me. But if you could pray for us that we have had testing and training and living for 40 years and I don't know what's next. But, nonetheless, that has been the path of my life. The present tension that I'm in, which causes the urgency that I feel, is that my path of life has collided with the digress of the culture. The culture is in regression. It's in decline. It is swirling down the toilet bowl faster and faster. I know what you... I I trust you know what I mean. I won't list all the saddening trends that we're experiencing in the culture that in many respects are a result of the breakdown of the family, of people not following religion. But I will say this, we're in a wacky time. And suffice it to say that sin has abounded and sin has caused consequences and these consequences are not good. It should not be a surprise to us. Sin is in our world. I mean, thankfully, we're told where sin abounds, grace will abound all the more. But nonetheless, sin has been here and it has caused a mess. Yet we are Christians. We should be concerned for righteousness' sake. God has called us and made us special and distinct. And somewhere between the cradle and the grave, He has given us this eternal perspective 
so that we have a new heart and a new desire and an ability to cry out to Him, Lord, here I am, send me. It's a spiritual journey that we're on. I, I, I need to tell you how unique this body is that I'm looking at. Because I'm going to go later on in the sermon and tell you that this region we're in is completely ungodly. That we might have 75 to 100 people with hearts inclined to God. We are on a rare journey right now. It's played out over time. It's embedded in time. It has a beginning when we're so-called born again and made new. And it has an end that we call death, but the, we know in Christ it's not death, it's amplified life, it's life eternal. I believe that I am a called out Christian in this world of turmoil and decline. I have passed that weird 40 year milestone. And though I recognize that there are a lot of years behind me, I do not rue the place that I'm in. I'm actually phenomenally blessed. I have a wonderful wife, Julie. On Friday, we celebrated our 39th anniversary. I have wonderful children, Paul, Ashley, and Michael. And I have five grandchildren. And I have, I'll have good health. So I wouldn't want to be at any earlier stage in my life. But I would tell you that there is a distinctive, at this point in one's life, my contemporaries and those who are older than me would agree, it has to do with time. It has to do with a recognition that the journey of life is closer to the end than it is to the beginning. Or as a golfing contemporary buddy of mine says, Rob, we're on the back nine. And I have to agree with him. With the recognition of life being closer to that point, each minute, each hour, each day, just is so much more precious. And I, I see nods from those of my contemporaries. It, it almost to the point that it creates a sense of urgency. I believe that we are in very exciting times and we can make an ex a significant impact for Jesus Christ but it is time to confront the culture for righteousness' sake. And quitting is not an option. It has been said of the D-Day invasion that was recently celebrated on June 6th that great victories require great challenges. The Allied military forces faced huge opposition at the beach. But they were courageous and they persevered and they didn't give up, and they finished strong. It is important that we finish strong in this present culture, more so than when I started practicing law in Southbridge 40 years ago. Therefore, in the context of what I've just said, appreciate that I'm speaking with urgency, and now I will share with you what I believe are seven ways that we can finish strong in this culture. The, the first, I believe, is obvious. If we are to finish strong, we must begin well. Christ teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and few there be that find it. 
When I am suggesting that we ought to finish strong on this narrow road, it carries, carries with it the implication that we are to finish strong for the Lord. That we are seeking His kingdom and His righteousness in our lives and we're not living like hell. That we are not traveling down the broad road that leads to destruction, but that we are on the narrow road that leads to Christ, that leads to life eternal. The Bible teaches that we were once on that broad road, but by grace we are now born again. And we can follow Christ now on the broad road because of what he has done for us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, If any person be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. And I suppose that most of you have made that turn and are born again. And praise God for that. But I would say to those of you who are not, who do not know where you stand with the Lord, who are not sure, I would like to take the time to fully present the gospel of Jesus Christ to you right now. But time doesn't allot. So I would say this. If you are not sure, please connect with me at the end of the service so that we may be able to talk about you and the gospel and eternal life so that we can finish strong in this sermon, which is about finishing strong in life, we must proceed. So suffice it to say, number one, to finish strong in this life, we must start well. Number two, to finish strong in this life, we must proceed with purpose. What is your purpose in life? Do you have a purpose in life? I hope that you do. The Shorter Catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith succinctly says in its first question, what is the chief end of man? The answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As we turn down the narrow road that leads to life, do we have this motivating purpose of glorifying God? It's a big question. We face big questions all the time. That's a big question. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, which at the time, historically, we need to know was as bad or maybe worse in debasement and sin and decline. But Paul wrote to them and said, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He did not write and say do some or do a little bit, but he said do all to the glory of God. Our purpose in life should be so strong and so clear and so compelling and so pervasive that nothing, nothing can ever distract us or derail us from following the Lord. If we proceed through life with this God-glorifying purpose, we will be able to finish strong. And ironically, wonderfully, seamlessly, that if we live this way glorifying God, when our last breath stops, we will wake up seeing God and we will continue to glorify Him forever. Seamlessly. Isn't that fun? So number two, to finish strong, we must proceed with purpose. Number three, to finish strong, we must proceed with protection. Whether we like it or not, we have to realize and recognize that we are at war. Do you? We're at war. We are in a constant spiritual battle. Satan's declared purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan constantly roams around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
He and his minions are against God and therefore they are against us. Paul warned the Ephesians, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As a result of being in the midst of that ongoing confrontation, Paul shared the solution to the Ephesians, which is the solution to us. It is that we ought to, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And I would direct your attention to Ephesians 6, put on all of that armor that Paul writes about. If we want to finish strong in this life, in the midst of this ongoing battle, we need to stay clothed like warriors. We must have a warrior's attitude with warrior's courage. We must perceive and understand the nature of the challenge that we're in and proceed with protection. If you were a fireman fighting a structure fire and you charged into the building to do your job without wearing your fire suit, you would be a fool and likely you would be a dead fool. If you are appropriately mindful of the spiritual battle that you are in on an ongoing basis, then you will dress appropriately. To finish strong in this life, you must proceed with protection and God gives it to us. Look at Ephesians 6. Number four, to finish strong, we must proceed with power. In a larger sense, our lives are like a race. There is a beginning and an end. Though we are not competing against other racers in that sense. But the Bible does use the race analogy. Paul encouraged the Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. When Paul was chastening the Galatians, for their backsliding and waywardness. He told them, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? And we have so much thankfully written from Paul and Paul's heart and spirit and energy and emotion come out in it. And he writes oftentimes that he did not want to run in vain. Thankfully, he didn't. Paul raced well. And he was able to tell Timothy, I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He raced very well, and we have every reason to believe he finished strong. It took a lot of energy to accomplish what he accomplished in life. And ironically, he admitted in his writings that he was not a strong person, but he was a weak person. And this should be so encouraging to us, that if we are small, or weak, or common, or ordinary, God who we trust, can make something happen through us that is uncommon and extraordinary, just like he did through Paul. When Paul pleaded with God to remove his disability, that thing that was taking him down, that thorn in his flesh, God wrote to him and said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul was able to to therefore encourage the Christians, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Ultimately, if we want to run this race well, and if we want to finish strong, we must realize that the power for that noble goal does not come from ourselves, but it comes from God. Do you get that? Don't rely on yourself to break the tape. Christ, just before he was ascending, spoke to his disciples and he told them the secret regarding the power of God. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth like Southbridge and around Southbridge. The secret for finishing strong in this life is our relationship with the Holy Spirit. For about the first 35 years of my Christian life, and I came to Christ in September 1977, my relationship with the Holy Spirit was not what it should have been. I minimized the Holy Spirit's place in the Trinity, and therefore I minimized the Holy Spirit's place in my life. I didn't rely on the Holy Spirit. Then, as a result of a sermon preached by our Dave Briggs in this church six or seven years ago, and then coupled with some personal study on my own, I confessed to the Holy Spirit my lifelong minimization of Him, and I gave Him my body, I gave Him my life, and I gave Him my future. I now know that the power to live comes from the Holy Spirit. So I trust Him, and I am convinced that it is the way to live an exciting, joyful, unbelievable, abundant life in Christ. And I intend to live this way until my last breath. In other words, if we intend to finish in this life strong, we must proceed with power, and that power comes from the Holy Spirit. So that's one through four. Now the final three suggestions come out of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Thank you. Okay, so, confessions. So I'm horrible with computers. And, and I don't know what I'm doing. And Michael wasn't home, so I put some stuff on and Nikki's helped me out. And that is, to me, a miracle that it's up on the screen. Our final... Seriously. Our final three suggestions come out of Hebrews 12, 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart, or in other words, so that you'll finish strong. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. So, number five. To finish strong, we must proceed with purity. As much as we are able, we must throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles if we want to finish strong. Sin in our lives holds us back and holds us from God's greater purpose in our lives. Sin will slow us down. Sin might even derail us and prohibit us from crossing that ideal finish line for us. 
As best as we can, we must flee from temptation. We must throw off all sin and everything that tangles and weighs us down. Truly, it's no surprise that road racers who win the races are wearing light sneakers and light shorts and light jerseys. They are not wearing snowsuits and ski boots. We are all sinners and we cannot say that our lives will never carry the weight of some sin. But the goal is to travel light and to travel as light as possible to finish strong. Sin hinders us and it entangles us. So do your best to get rid of sins to run well and to finish strong. That's number five. Number six. To finish strong, we must proceed with perseverance. Hebrews 12.1 tells us, Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Candidly, perseverance in the Christian life is an enormous topic. It could take up sermons for weeks, and I don't have time to do that. I'm going to keep my focus about perseverance with that which deals with finishing strong. Perseverance is important because it keeps up our momentum in the race of life. It is difficult to break into a sprint from a dead stop. It is much easier to add speed to your run from existing movement. Do you get that? It's a nuance, but that really is the deal. Perseverance is important because it helps us with our momentum. So how do we keep moving in the right direction throughout our whole life? Let me share with you a secret that someone shared to me over 40 years ago. And it's been reinforced to me through several mentors and I have put it to the test and I can testify that it works. The secret has to do with habits. Commonly, when we talk about habits, we think about bad habits. And we want to get rid of them because of bad habits that can bring us down. But the good news and the encouragement I want to give you is that there are such things as good habits. And good habits have the power to lift us up and carry us along like autopilots in our lives. I I don't want to brag, but I want to make it somewhat clear that it can be done. I was told over 40 years ago to try to read the Bible at least five minutes a day, and probably in my life I've missed a handful, ten at the most. I was encouraged to read through the Bible. For the last 35 years, I read through the Bible once. It can be done. It's just habits. I was encouraged 15 or 20 years ago, I've lost count to do 50 push-ups every day. I've missed one day and I chose to do that. And I did that even through six surgeries with 85 stitches. I recently wanted to um, learn Spanish. And I was told there's an app, Duolingo is the name. And for the last 661 days in a row, I've studied Spanish every morning. I tell you because for me, it's been easy. I am an absolute slave to my habits. But they're good habits. You can persevere if you create good habits. So build good habits. Live good habits. In a sense, let your good habits control your life. When all all said and done, your life will be made up of many little choices. And though we are so-called daunted by the big choices in our lives... Really, I believe that a man or woman's life will be weighed out and distinguished by all the little choices that they cumulatively make day in and day out. Good habits will help you make those little choices. 
with momentum maintained by good choices and good habits, you can actually persevere. And with such perseverance, you will be positioned to finish strong. Suggestion seven. To finish strong, we must proceed with proper focus. Hebrews 12 tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. There is a motivational saying of long standing that has to do with the importance of setting goals. And it's that if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Everything that I've talked about, suggestions one through six, could be all for naught for you if they are not focused on the proper goal. Though we start well in our spiritual journey and turn down the narrow road to follow Christ, it is not the guardrails of that road that are going to help you finish strong, but it's your laser focus on the goal at the end, Jesus Christ, that will keep you in the middle lane, traveling the straightest line at the fastest speed. All the purpose, all the power, all the perseverance that you might try to muster in your life will prove fruitless if you don't continually aim at Jesus Christ. To finish strong, we must be calibrated to Christ and we must be locked on to Him. In this light, I believe that Hebrews 12.3 is an encouragement for us and it makes sense. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me give you some stark news which is sort of parenthetical to this point. It's related to the goal of following Jesus. There is no neutral position in following Jesus. It is, you can't be half pregnant. You can't, you either are or you aren't. Well, it's the same thing in following Christ. You cannot half-heartedly follow Christ. It won't please Him. He won't condone it. He tells us either you're with me or against me. Either you gather or you scatter. Either you take up your cross daily and follow me or you don't. Don't delude yourself with the belief that you can run the Christian race and finish strong if you don't truly fix your eyes on Christ. If you don't want to lose heart on the journey, if you don't want to get weary on the journey, if in fact you truly want to finish strong on the journey, then fix your eyes on Jesus and follow Him passionately, unreservedly, and wholeheartedly. So, that's my list of seven suggestions for finishing strong in, in this Christian life. And though you have not experienced the 40-year testing and training that I have in my law practice, I still hope and pray that you have a sense of urgency. If you perceive how wayward our culture is, maybe it will motivate you to action. I indicated earlier in the sermon that I believe we are living in very wacky, sinful times. And there was a tipping point for me not too long ago that really put me in another gear. It had to do with the legislature in New York, where Paul and Allison live in Albany. There was a vote to extend the ability to perform abortions in that legislature. And they extended abortions till the end of term, which is bad enough. And Pat, I'm thankful, is giving sermons and giving information on pro-life issues. But it was bad enough that they voted to do that. But if you're aware of what took place, 
on the legislative floor after the vote was counted and pronounced, the pro proponents of that bill stood up and cheered that they could kill more babies more often. Well, I believe the legislature in New York has outdone themselves because on June 4th, another bill was passed, I recently found out, and it had to do with declawing cats. Declawing cats is called onychectomy. And the bill, I'm not sure if it's been signed by the governor yet, but it passed through legislature, that same legislature on June 4th, that says if a veterinarian declaws a cat, it's a fine of $1,000. Think of that now. The legislators are apparently more compassionate about a little kitty cat and his fingernails than they are about babies in their precious lives. That is the world that we are presently in. Now, that if you look at it from a 50-state global view, may not reach home to you. But another indication has shocked me. And, it's, and some of you may have seen it. It's a George Barna recent study on Christian cities in America. And the study considered three met, 100 metropolitan areas in the United States and marked out which ones were the most post-Christian. And it was not necessary. I saw the criteria, the 13 criteria. Do you believe in God? Do you read the Bible? Do you give? Do you go to church? Have you been to a Bible study lately? Objective criteria. And polled 100 different city areas and listed those areas as they felt sifted out to be most post-Christian most ungodly. Eight out of the top ten are in the Northeast. I'll give you the list. Number one was Springfield Holyoke. That's basically us. Two, Portland, Auburn, Maine. Three, Providence, Rhode Island, New Bedford, Mass. Four, Burlington, Vermont. Five, Boston, Manchester, New Hampshire. Six, Albany, Schenectady, Troy, New York. Seven, Hartford, New Haven, Connecticut. 8, Rochester, New York. The point. We are in the most debased place in the whole United States. And for me, you know, partly sunny, partly cloudy, half full, half empty. I see people in the pews. I don't see empty seats. To be encouraged by your presence in this setting that we now recognize that is so dark. And that creates for me a sense of urgency. So friends, we can't be complacent. The world around us is in crazy sin. We must move out and we must purpose to finish strong. For many years, I referred to my like-minded friends and ministry partners as those with whom I would be very willing to share a foxhole. And I'm very thankful that most of you folks are of that ilk. I thank you that you're strong, committed Christians and that you're my brothers and sisters because you are my brothers and sisters, I'm going to take the liberty to put it on you this morning. I believe that the time for hunkering in a foxhole has long since passed. Us here in Southbridge, us here in New England. The direction and speed of decline in our culture requires us to figuratively do what those soldiers in World War I did over in Europe. They came together out of the trenches
and they went what was called going over the top into the no man's land and they were assured to face withering fire and perhaps even death. I believe the culture is that lost. I believe that the situation is that dire. I believe that the call is that urgent for us. Do you want to run the race and finish strong for Christ? I truly hope that you do. I hope that I have not offended some of you by use of this pulpit where I am blessed to be to call you out of complacency to go into a culture battle. It's actually, though, not an uncommon thing that has happened in the history of our country. Before the outbreak of the Revolutionary War in the 1770s, pastors up and down the East Coast preached to their congregations about the impending need for a fight for liberty and freedom, to fight for the best of their culture at that time. The British were aware of these pastors, and they derogatorily called them the Black Regiment or the Black Robe Regiment. And it was not because of their skin color, it was because of their pastoral vestments, their black robes. One such notable pastor was 30-year-old John Peter Mullenberg. And after Pastor Mullenberg heard the inspiring words of Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death, he went back to his church in Virginia and he preached a sermon that ended with these words. In the language of the Holy Writ, there is a time for all things. There is a time to preach and a time to fight. Then, to the surprise of his congregation, he stripped off his clerical robes and revealed to an aghast crowd his Continental Army uniform. Understandably, the service ended abruptly. And with 300 of his parishioners, they rode off to join General George Washington in the 8th Virginia Regiment. In the ensuing 10-year period, Pastor Mullenberg endured all kinds of tests. He was in the brutal winter at Valley Forge. He fought in numerous notable battles, Brandywine, Germantown, Monmouth, Stony Point, and even the finishing battle at Yorktown. He was promoted to Major General. He rose up and was a congressman and senator for Pennsylvania, and he served in the first Congress that approved the First Amendment and other amendments and enactments. Pastor Mullenberg sensed the urgency of his times, and he responded, even from the pulpit. Now, don't expect me to start stripping off clothes and surprise you. But allow me to unabashedly and unapologetically call you and call me and call us to action. We must start well. We must proceed with perseverance, with protection, purpose, power, purity, perseverance, And we must proceed with a proper focus on Jesus Christ if we want to finish strong. In response to Goliath's 40 days of taunting the Israel people, it was David who stepped up and went out to confront Goliath. In response to the turmoil of his times and the conquering and settling of the promised land, our 85-year-old example, Caleb, didn't wait for a deed to come in the mail into his post office box 
But he stepped up and he went out and he confronted the Anakites, the giants of his time, and he took the land. We too, we too, must step up and run the battle, run the race well, and finish strong to win the battle. I hope I have encouraged all of you in this way. We can run well, we can finish strong. We must, and by God's grace, we will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you called us when we were dead and rebellious to follow you. You loved us that much. And you loved us that much that you gave us power by your Holy Spirit. And you loved us that you gave us purpose to live for you and for eternity. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Use us for your glory, even in this dry and dark place of New England. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for this light on a hill, as it were. Shine through this place, Lord. Shine brightly through this place and draw many to salvation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond and sing.